you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. We're just going to get into the Word of the Lord tonight and spend a little time in the Word. I uh, enjoy our midweek Bible study. It gives me an opportunity to be able just to open the Word and dig into the Word. How many of you know that our knowledge and understanding of Scripture is so very important? We must know the Word. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight and would like to turn with me, I will read from the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, and I'm going to read about 13 verses, so it's a little lengthy reading tonight, and I'm going to read through this passage that deals with overcoming the sins of the flesh. Now, there are sins that we deal with, they're sins of the Spirit, uh, but tonight I want to specifically deal with overcoming the flesh. How many of you know the flesh can be one of the hardest things to overcome? One of the hardest things for us to overcome are the sins of the flesh. It is the desires, the will of the flesh that we battle with so often. I talked to someone here a while back, and um, I was in a discussion with a group. And in that discussion, uh, someone was brought up, and they had been uh, involved in some very evil activity. And I had mentioned that I had worked with them as their pastor for uh, a certain amount of time, and um, one of the gentlemen there looked at me and he said, well, during that time that you worked with them, maybe something good came out of it, uh, did they ever uh, turn their life to the Lord for salvation? And it kind of set me back for a minute and I realized that we are coming from two different worlds of view. And I looked at him very intently for a second trying to decide exactly how I wanted to answer the question that he had raised and I said well there was a time that they did come to the altar and shed some tears and there was a time that they they took a step of faith yes but the truth is is that I never saw any change come into their life. And by this time, the room had gone silent and all eyes were on me, so I had to step on through the door and continue to address the subject at hand. And I said, the issue 
with salvation, and it is more than just a moment of belief. It's more than a moment of faith. That belief and that faith must bring about a change in your life. And if you don't see change in their life, then I'm not going to believe that there was any significant salvation that ever really came into that life. And well, by this time, all ears were perked up and people's looking at me like, oh my, this pastor is about to disobey the whole law of grace and salvation. And so the door was open for me to step through and I said, when God brings about salvation through the power of his spirit, there must be a change. Old things are passed away and all things become new. And if old things aren't passed away and all things don't become new, then you must not be a new creature in Christ Jesus. But this time I even had some folks nodding their head like, hey, this guy's making a little sense. And I went on through the scripture and talked a little bit about how when salvation comes into our life, it is more than just belief and faith, but it causes us to respond with a different action than that in which we have had. Let's get into the word of the Lord uh, before I get lay too big of a groundwork tonight. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, meaning we're trying to receive salvation through the flesh, it's impossible. God sent in his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, for sin condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. This is talking about those who have been born again. It doesn't mean we're not living here in the Spirit, but we're not, we're not following after the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Verse 10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That word righteousness simply means right living. Verse 11, but if the Spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, ye are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh... Ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify or kill 
the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So verse 13, in fact, tells us that if there is not a death to the old human nature, the spirit cannot live in us, and the spiritual man will die. So we have to choose who is going to live, who is going to live. So we're going to talk tonight for a little bit about overcoming the flesh. Now, uh, today, this morning, I actually woke up with the, the memory of a little story that had happened to me. I think I was about the seventh grade, if I remember correctly. I was about the seventh grade, and I was in my English literature class, and um, that wasn't my best subject, and I, I didn't like to read at that time. Uh, I didn't do much reading, but I was given an assignment uh, by my teacher to uh, do a 10-page book report. It was the largest book report that I had ever done, and uh, I was very nervous about doing a 10-page book report, and I was to do it on a book titled To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, I knew nothing about the book, was not aware of anything other than it was a large book and it was intimidating for a seventh grader to look at. And I thought, wow, I've got to read this whole entire book and then I've got to write ten pages about this book. It was just overwhelming. And so uh, since I wasn't much of a reader at that stage in my life, I procrastinated uh, and I let it go all the way up to the very final weekend, and I'd probably been given four weeks or so to do this, four to six weeks, I don't recall, maybe six weeks to do it, and um, it was the last final weekend, and um, I had been given an, an opportunity to travel out um, of town that weekend, and um, my friend was wanting me to go, and uh, I had the opportunity to go. However, I knew that I had this 10-page book report and this entire book to read, and it was going to be tough, and I had decided I was going to try to skim read through. Like, I had learned that I could read the first page, skim through, read the last page, make up the difference between the two, and I'm glad none of the young people are in here to hear me talk about this. And I would just kind of figure out what the book was saying, and, uh, and I would write this report and just, you know, fill in and fill in and fill in. And uh, I would just go in and try to take some quotes out of the book and just fill up uh, those, those 10 pages. So I kind of had the plan. But it was going to take me a lot of time to do this pretty much the whole weekend because I had had six weeks to get this done. And so um, I was not going to be able to go, and I was terribly disappointed, and my friends were terribly disappointed. And so my friend who was the guitar player in the band that I was traveling with, he looked at me and he said, hey, it's no problem. He said, I have read the book, and I can help you with your book report. There is a God in heaven. He said, just come on and go, and while we're traveling, we'll work on the book report. I said, wonderful. And so we got in the van and started traveling, and so we, I think we were traveling somewhere like to Mobile, uh, and so we were on the road for a while, and as we're traveling, he's explaining the book to me, and the characters of the book and the details, and he's going through, and um, so I'm taking notes, and and uh, I start writing, and by the time I was done, by the time I returned on Sunday night, I had my book report all together, and all 10 pages, I even did the extra credit, you could do an extra page for extra credit, and so I completed it, and uh, so I go in on Monday morning, 
and uh, smile on my face, walked up to the teacher, handed her the book report, and uh, went to my seat and waited for Tuesday morning to arrive when uh, we were going to be uh, receive our book reports back graded. And so Tuesday morning, uh, right after roll call, my teacher in the class, she said, uh, Philip, I'd like for you to come forward. And uh, she gave everybody an assignment. And so I came up by the desk and she called me over real close to her. And um, I kind of leaned over by the desk and she was speaking real softly as to try not to embarrass me. And she said, uh, Philip, you, you didn't read the book, did you? Well, I could not tell a lie. And so I looked at her and said, no, ma'am, I didn't. And she said, you wrote an incredible paper. She said, it was amazing. You did a wonderful job writing the paper. You went to such extent to write this paper. And the details of uh, in the book report just appeared to be wonderful. The only thing that you left out were any excerpts out of the book in which I had requested you to have uh, at least five statements out of the book. And I didn't see any statements at all. And she said, but it was a great report. She said, except the book that you were assigned to read was To Kill a Mockingbird. And your book report that you turned in in the storyline was a book titled Of Mice and Men. I learned a very valuable lesson that day. Number one, you need to read the book for yourself. And number two, just because someone wants to help you doesn't mean they're qualified. But the third lesson that I really want to share with you tonight and get across to you, particularly in things related to the Word of God and the Bible and receiving Bible studies is, never let anyone tell you what the book says unless you're reading the book yourself. You need to get in the book and see what the book has to say. Because in this book, ladies and gentlemen, there are some fantastic lessons on life and living. And any answer to any question in life that you may have, the answer is in this book. Tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit about this flesh and, and dealing with the struggles and the battles of this flesh. Because this, this flesh, what I really want to deal with tonight are sins that are related to the flesh. And the reason that sins of the flesh are so difficult is because it requires the same faith that sins of the Spirit require. Except the battle is not in the Spirit as much as it is in the flesh because the flesh and the spirit are not the same. So the way you fight a spiritual battle may not be the same way you have to fight the battle that is going on in your flesh. Can I help you? The way we seemingly fight sins of the flesh is through our own willpower. We think if we have enough willpower, we can overcome sins of the flesh. If we can just muster enough courage and willpower, we'll be able to get beyond these, these 
desires of the flesh. Or we try to do it out of fleshly resources. So we try to find ways that are connected to the flesh. And so, therefore, we try to fight addictions by trying to find the right program to get us through it. Or we look to, we, we look to medications to be the answer to get off drugs. Well, it never works. That's why that, that's why that so many of so many people that go through different programs end up at the end right back in the same situation that they were in. And they have failure rates in the high 90% range. And the reason is, is because they are trying to conquer sins of the flesh by fleshly means. And they're trying to do it under fleshly resources or through sheer willpower of saying, I'm just going to put this down and never touch it again. I'm going to get that off my phone, off my web, off my, my computer, and I'm never going to go back to those websites again, only to find themselves going right back into the same thing again. I'm going to throw out all the cigarettes. I'm going to get all the alcohol out of my home, and then only to find yourself right back into the same mess because you're trying to do it through willpower or through fleshly resources. So the first thing that we must do is we have to identify the real struggles. Now, the Bible identifies sin for us in Galatians, the fifth chapter. It talks about the works of the flesh. And I want you to turn there with me in Galatians 5. And I'm going to just read through this for a minute. In verse 19, it begins with, Now the works of the flesh are these. Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And now the list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So these things will keep you out of heaven. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is what the Spirit will produce in your life. It will not be all of these other things, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. See, the flesh had to die. So there has to be a change or a death to the old nature that we deal with. And so they've crucified the flesh with, with what? What does the scripture say there? With the affections and the lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Now let me take a moment. Now I don't want to bog us down here tonight in this or bore you with it, but I just want to run really quickly through that huge laundry list of sins that the scripture just gave us because some of those are not words we're real accustomed to. So I'm just going to blitz through these very quickly if I may. Adultery first needs very little. It's the seventh of the Ten Commandments. It's infidelity on the part of a married individual. Fornication, the Greek and Hebrew, Hebrew words for fornication could clearly include any sexual sin outside of a monogamous marriage. So then uncleanliness, there are two contexts of this word which speaks of personal hygiene or of housekeeping 
but I don't think it's really referring to that because it's speaking of morals. So in a moral sense, it is the impurity of lustful or immoral living. So it is a lustful living, so I'm doing what feels good. So we're seeing a lot of this in the world today. A lot of people today don't really even care what the Bible says. They just want to do what feels right. Let me tell you that just because it feels right to the flesh doesn't mean that it is the right thing to do. So we have to destroy or kill that desire of the flesh. we got to put it behind us. we got to get over the desires of the flesh and get where we can live out of the resources of the Spirit instead of out of the lusts of the flesh. Lasciviousness comes from a word meaning inclined to lustful and lewd actions. Now see, many of these are very related. It's just different avenues of them, especially for the benefit of sexual desires. Let's move now to idolatry. Idolatry is the universal human tendency to value something or someone in a way that hinders the love and trust that we owe to God. So idolatry is anything that you put above God. That's idolatry. You don't have to have a physical idol in your home set up and worship it. You don't have to that's not what it's, it's, as a matter of fact, that could be idolatry, but that's an extreme form of idolatry. A lot of people are involved in idolatry and don't even realize it. It's when you begin to put things ahead of God. It's when you start putting, it's, this is when you start putting your hobbies ahead of God. You start valuing everything in your life. Your money and your wealth can be valued above God. And it becomes your God. And so if we're not careful, there's a lot of things People say this, they ask me, what about this, that, and the other? Most things, most things that we participate in are not sin, but most things we can make sin through idolatry. Meaning we can start putting, we can start putting our love for money, make it so great that it starts being sinful because it's idolatry. We're, we're living for our money. We're living for our, our things. We're idolizing the things, the brands of clothes we wear, or the car we drive, or the house we live in, or how much money's in the bank, in our bank account, or we start idolizing our hobbies, and 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 we start idolizing individual sports figures, and they start being our heroes, and we're we're not so concerned. I had someone come to me one time and said, uh, Pastor, don't want you to think anything of it, but I'm a big football fan. It's football season, and uh, I only have just like three months of this. And so at the end of three months, you'll see me again. But between now and then, I'll be gone from church a lot because I don't miss any football games. That's idolatry. You're putting something ahead of God. I've had people come in and, I, I, matter of fact, I, 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 I was flipping through a hunting magazine the other day and I saw a sign that said, we interrupt this marriage for deer season. We don't really deal with that much up here, but down south they close schools. Somebody told me the other day of one particular area that closes school for three days, the first days of deer season. That's pretty important. If we're not careful, we can put our golf game or shopping or anything that we want, we can begin to idolize it and put it above God. So that's what idolatry is dealing with. Witchcraft is defined as anything that derives its power or guidance or advice from Satan includes all new age practices and we could go into a long laundry list of things if we're not careful people can fall into witchcraft and and 
things that are demonic and it's it, all the sources and powers come from demonic forces. Then there's a word that's thrown in there that is called hatred. And we don't want to put it in with like adultery and fornication and idolatry and witchcraft. And then it says hatred. It makes us all swallow hard, doesn't it? In the Greek, it means the absence or lack of love producing hurtful contention or intentional strife. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can start practicing the sin of hatred of other people, family, friends, co-workers, and we have evil intention toward them. The Bible says this is a sin. Variance is a strange word, and it's not a word that we would deal with much in the line of sin. When I think of variance, I, it, it doesn't strike me here with what the meaning of the word is in this context. But variance is a work of the flesh, and it's referring to people who constantly try to express their differences in a matter, particularly when lacking biblical principles. I hope you get this tonight because this is very important. You can pick these people out. They're people who constantly want to try to swim upstream when the rest of the society is swimming downstream. It's people who always are quick to express their difference. They, 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 they want to make, they, they make a difference to the point that they start being contentious with their stance. I'm not talking about things that are godly. I'm talking about in matters that are connected to the flesh. Particularly things, here, here's one area if we're not careful. And please church, hear me. And I'll stand very neutral on this tonight when I say it because I've seen this uh, on, on both parties. So I'm not playing a party line tonight when I say this. But I see people who become contentious over politics. They become contentious and they divide house, households and friendships over trying to say this person's better than this person when truth is probably everybody has certain good quality points. But variance is when we pick out all the bad qualities because we're trying to get an agenda across. And the Bible said these things are sinful. That's regardless which side of the table you want to sit on. Particularly when matters are of biblical significance or biblical importance. This is when, in other words, we play down some very strong biblical teachings and some things that the Bible, in fact, holds a very strong line in. And we say, ah, oh, no big deal with that because I want my agenda accomplished. This is called variance. This is why we have to be very, very careful in how we take stances on certain things. Emulations, here's a word meaning it's a, it's a heart burning or a passionate jealousy or perhaps an inordinate ambition. In other words, the, words, the word emulation is working passionately toward an evil cause. These are, these are individuals who they work passionately to try to get revenge towards somebody. They want to hurt somebody and they become emotionally connected to their, their desire when the Bible emphatically tells us to not return an eye for an eye. 
to let vengeance be God's and not us. And so here we have to be careful when it comes to emulations that we don't get too involved in this. The word wrath means passions or outburst of anger. Strife is to be bitter. Sometimes violent conflict or dissension. This is strife. Seditions is organizing or encouraging opposition, particularly related to government, creating or leading revolts or disturbances. This is called seditions. Violence acts against authorities. The word heresies is an, an opinion or doctrine that is contrary to the Bible. Just because it sounds good and reads well on social media doesn't make it right. I wish I could get a better amen than that. We have to be careful that what we say and what we post and what we like on social media and what we share on our jobs and among our family members that they are not opposed to Bible doctrine. The word envians is a desire to have what others have. Murders is to kill. Drunkenness is in sobriety. And revelings is sexual parties. All of these things is this huge list that is given to us in the book of Galatians that are things that are all connected with the flesh. They're all connected to the flesh. Now I'm going to deal with some of these tonight. And I didn't, I didn't dig real deep into those, but many, many things that we deal with particularly those who deal with different forms of addictions. They all fall in line somewhere in that laundry list that I just gave you. If we want to destroy the works of the flesh in our life, and we want to overcome these things, the first thing we have to do is identify what the real issue is. The second thing we've got to do is we have to be honest with ourselves and with others about the severity of the struggle that we have. Most people who suffer from addictions, the first thing they say is, I don't have an addiction. Or they say it's not that bad. I talked to somebody one time and he said, I'd, I'd actually taken him to eat and um, we were over in Lafayette and uh, it, was, it was one of the only times this has ever happened to me. Uh, I took a, a, a new, new church member out. This was many years ago. And uh, I took a new church member out to dinner. And I took him over to Texas Roadhouse. It's just he and I. And we sat down and he looked across the table and he said, Hey, you don't mind if I have a beer, do you? I said, I'm buying your steak. He said, Really? You wouldn't buy a man a beer? I said, I'm not buying your beer. I'll buy your steak. And so out of courtesy, he kind of let it pass, but it opened a conversation. And he said, look, he said, uh, you know, I don't know about this, this drinking thing. He said, let me talk to you about it a little bit. I said, okay, I'm willing to answer questions. And uh, he said, where, where, what's your stance on it? And so I gave him my stance on it. I said, well, uh, I, I am an, an abstainer of alcohol. I don't drink any type of alcohol. And uh, he said, none at all, ever? And I said, none at all, ever. And he said, wow. I, I, he said, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't fully understand that. And I said, well, let me help you with it. And so he, he said, uh, 
I, I, I think it's okay probably if you drink as long as you don't get drunk, right? I mean, it's just drinking's okay. It's the getting drunk that, that's bad, right? And he tried to mumble, mutter through uh, a scripture that he was trying to, to get through to try to say that as long as he, you know, he could drink as long as it's in moderation and that was going to be okay. And so I was kind of prepared for that. And so when he completed, I, I actually kind of stopped him and corrected him and I quoted the remainder of the verse for him to help him out and I got through I said this is the verse you're referring to and so I explained to him the verse that he was talking about was not dealing with alcohol and drinking at all that it was dealing with a complete different matter and so after I got that settled I said now let me talk to you about some things that is very clear and so I started going through took him to the book of Proverbs and began to show him where uh, wine is a strong drink and a strong drink is raging and he that partaketh thereof is unwise. And so I started there. I said, so the first thing is, is partaking of any kind of alcohol, the scripture said is unwise. And so I gave him a little quick uh, Bible study and I got through I got through the Bible study and he said, wow, man, you know, you're, you're being kind of hard on me. He said, I'll just be honest with you. He said, I don't have a, a, a problem with drinking. He said, um, but I will tell you this. He said, when I mow my lawn and I finish mowing my lawn, I like to have a beer. I said, okay. And he said, you know, I don't drink a bunch. I might have one or two maybe if it's real hot. And he said, and I'll tell you the other time, he said, if I'm grilling out, man, he said, I, I like to have a beer while I'm grilling out. And I said, yeah. And he said, and pretty much every day when I get home from work, first thing I want to do is I want to have a beer when I get home from work. I said, good. And he said, then late in the evening, like when I'm watching TV, I like to have a beer then too. I said, now how many is this in one day? I said, but you don't have a problem. He kind of sat back and he said, well, you got me. And I said, see, you think you've got this thing controlled, right? You think you, you don't think you have any kind of problem. He said, well, I never looked at it like that. I said, so you, you think you can quit? He said, I can quit anytime I want. I said, do, do a deal with me right now. For the next 30 days, I want you to check in with me every day. I want you to go 30 days and not have a beer if you've got this all under control. 30 days without one, and you check in with me. Okay, day one, pastor, I failed. Day two, pastor, I failed. Day three, pastor, I... after about two weeks, I said, at what point are you going to realize you have an issue? If you want to overcome the sins of the flesh, it doesn't matter what kind of an addiction it is. I used alcohol just because I have a story to go with it. But regardless what the addiction is, whether it is anger, oh, you don't think anger is addictive? You don't think outburst, those, you don't think wrath is addictive? Of course it is. You love the adrenaline rush that comes when you get anger and angry and beat your chest and feel like a hero? Of course it becomes addictive if you're not careful. It's the only response that you know how to give when certain things trigger in your life. Am I being too real tonight? Regardless what the addiction is, in order to overcome it, you must be honest with yourself and admit there is a problem. You can't make excuses. And you can't justify it by saying it's because of whatever. I hope somebody's taking a few notes tonight that's struggling because I'm trying to help you. And if you want help, here's your help tonight. Identify the problem. Be honest. Don't make excuses. Don't justify and say, well, it's because of this. 
because of that, because I had a bad day. If my bad attitude every day is blamed on my got up on the wrong side of the bed, try getting up on the other side of the bed then. Many people try to justify their actions by comparing their own weakness with somebody else. And so their response is, well, it's no worse than you're never going to overcome the things that you're going through. You're never going to break the addiction in your life as long as you're comparing your addiction with somebody else's worst problem. Don't align yourself with others. The Bible even says don't compare ourselves with others. Because if I compare myself with others, I'm going to end up finding some areas of my life where I may feel good about myself. But the problem is, is we happen to take our addiction on our best day and compare it against somebody else's problem on their worst day. And we justify it by saying it's no worse than or it's not as bad as. So if you want to overcome whatever it may be in the flesh, whether you're dealing with attitudes, whether you're dealing with addictions, whether you're dealing with lying, whether you're deal- whatever it is that you're dealing with, we have to take responsibility for our own self. The greatest day in your life is when you take responsibility for your own struggles. The devil didn't make me do it. My wife didn't make me do it. My boss didn't make me do it. Is anybody awake with me tonight? We have to take responsibility for what we're doing. And we must seek to find the faith to believe that there is help for us. You've got to have the faith to believe that there's help for you. I want you to look at your neighbor tonight. Now, I know I I sense some of you just hate it when I do this, and you're like, nope, not going to do it, not going to do it. I'm doing this for a reason. This exercise is not an exercise of futility. This is an exercise that may help somebody. So I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to look them right in the eye and tell them there is help for you. There's help for you. You want to know why I had you say that? Because... A lot of kids grow up hearing adults say, there's no hope for you. There's no help for you. They get in marriage relationships and people say, there's no hope for you. You're useless. You're worthless. I come tonight to reverse that and tell you there is help for you. There is hope for you. You are not worthless. Jesus gave his life on the cross for you. There is a way out of this for you. You must have faith to believe that there is hope. I, 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 every Sunday I come trying to preach hope to people because if you can get enough faith to believe there's hope and enough faith to believe there's help, once you do the earlier things that I told you, identifying the problem, being honest, taking responsibility, then you've got to have some faith to believe there is help for you. You've got to believe it. You've got to understand that God wants to help you. Now, in every life that deals with any sorts of sins of the flesh, it really all comes down to control. Now, I'm going to talk to you for a moment about control. I'm I'm looking up at the clock, and I'm like, really, I've already been going like 35 minutes. Wow. I'm just getting started. 
sorry, I'm enjoying this much more than you are. It all comes down to the word control. Because we have to decide who is in control. We can either allow God to be in control. We've got to put him as control. That means he's Lord. Are you with me now? Either he's going to be Lord. So either we put God in control or we put self in control. Everybody say the flesh. So now we're relying on the flesh. So we put the flesh in control. That means you become your own Lord. Instead of putting God as Lord over everything, you have, you're esteeming yourself, esteeming the flesh, and you're putting yourself as Lord. Or you put Satan in control. Very few people do that, but there are those, and that's those who live with deep, wicked issues in their life, and they put Satan in control of their life. Those are people who the Bible speak of as being turned over to a reprobate mind. In other words, they have been deceived to the point that they now are, they, their, their struggles their, are, are much greater. They are now controlled and ruled by evil spirits. Some people refer to it in this way, that they are possessed. And that's people who their entire life is ruled by satanic forces. And so that either Satan is in control, and I'm going to say in general tonight, at least I pray and hope that we're dealing with no one in that shape tonight. I doubt it. But we have to decide, is God in control or is self in control? Because there's three real controls, that three things that controls the flesh. Now, we can try to fight everything out of our own resources of the flesh, or we can put God in control and allow Him to help us and empower us. The truth is, in order to overcome, you have to put God in control, but your flesh has to be in submission to the voice of God. So when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, don't say that, don't go there, don't do this, or do this and do that and go here and be here, then we have to respond to that nudge of the Holy Spirit. If you rely on the flesh, the flesh is going to say, I want it. The Holy Spirit is going to say, but you don't need it. Now whose voice are you going to listen to? What voice are you going to, are you going to listen to? You will never be able to conquer the flesh through willpower alone without the Holy Spirit working in your life. Then the Holy Spirit in your life you, the flesh, must be under submission to the Holy Spirit so when the Holy Ghost speaks to you that you respond accordingly to what the Holy Ghost is saying. I tell people often, and some of you that I've met with and talked to, I've shared this with, I tell you that when you t every time that you give something up or take something away, you need to replace that with something else. People who are giving up an addiction often need to replace it with something else. And so we must be very careful that we don't just try to go and say, well, I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm giving up all of my friends. I'm just going to sit at home on Friday night. Wrong. Join a small group. Get together with some of your Christian friends. You don't have to go out drinking on Friday night. Somebody said, well, every night that I, you know, every Friday when I drive home, I just, you know, I drive to that liquor store and it just, my car wants to turn in. And 
people kind of smirk at me when I say, then every Friday, intentionally choose that I'm driving a different way home. You have to change your patterns. Somebody says, well, I'm struggling with lying. I get to work, and I'm sitting around the lunch table, and man, I just start telling lies, and I lie upon lie. I don't mean to. I just get pulled into it. Somebody tells their story, and then I have to tell one larger, and, and I get caught up in lying, and I'm struggling with this lying thing, and I don't know what to do. Let me help you. Change where you're sitting at lunch. Get with a different group of friends. If you have to fast through lunch, fast lunch. Spend that time praying, listening to music, doing something different, reading the Word of God. Do something that is countering what was pulling you in. So we choose who will be in control over our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's our choices that dictate our future. We cannot allow old habits to control us. And if we're not careful, we all will do this because we're creatures of habit. Look at your neighbor now. I'm trying to keep everybody awake. Look at your neighbor and tell them you are a creature of habit. Oh, some of you are enjoying telling your spouse that. You are a creature of habit. We all are. We are creatures of habit. And that's what happens. We get in habits. We become habitual to, to certain things. And when it's sin in our life, if we're not careful, we just get caught up in it and it just starts being a, the habit. It's where we go to. It's what we do. So if the habit controls us, we have to start by breaking that habit. Can I get an amen? You have to break that habit. The only way you break the habit is by being intentional by putting something else there. If you get up from the table and the first thing you do is walk outside and smoke, change that. Sit at the table and when you're done, I do not walk outside. I am going to change what I'm doing. When I get done with dinner, the first thing I'm going to do is something to replace that that is godly. You got to decide who's in control. You can let the flesh control you and you're pulled into those habits. Or either you can take control of the habit and say, I will not. Because I walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Here's the way the apostle really lays it out. He says, for we, we are not bound to the voice of the flesh. He puts it in military terms and he talks to us about it and says, just because the drummer is beating a certain way and the commanding officer is saying, follow the flesh, follow the flesh, follow the flesh. When you're born of the Spirit, he is saying, you now no longer have to listen to that drum beat and that commanding officer. You owe him no allegiance. I'm dying out to that. Now I will march to the beat of a different drum and listen to a new commanding officer, meaning I will let the Holy Spirit speak into my life and I will intentionally follow what the Holy Ghost is saying to me. This is why you must be filled with the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost working in your life. Now the flesh doesn't like this because it is against the flesh. It takes a lot of patience, 
a lot of trust, and a lot of endurance. And if you mess up, you got to quickly get back on the bandwagon. You can't just say, well, I'll pick it up in a few days. No, immediately you have to turn around, dust yourself off, get up, and keep moving forward. And we must stay in step with the Holy Ghost. Galatians 5 and 25 said, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So if the Spirit is leading in a direction, we need to go the direction of the Spirit. So people that are always wanting to be contrary, they're always wanting to go different. It's like, well, this is the way that the church is going, but I'm going different. This is where God's leading us right now, but I'm doing something different. I'm sensing something different. Be careful because you'll end up being isolated. It's much easier to do this together. Your battle may not be my battle and my battle may not be yours, but I can promise you together we will be able to overcome more than any of us will be able to, able to overcome if we're off and I, trying to be an island to ourselves. So how do we stay in step with the Holy Ghost? First of all, I give up my way for God's way. So I'll let the Word of God speak to me. I'll let the preached Word, I'll let the Spirit speak to me. I will include prayer and devotions into my life. Morning, noon, and night, pray, put devotion in your life, replace some of those habit-forming things, some of those moments that are the lead, they're the segue into that sinful nature. They're the segue that leads you into what you're doing. Change it, replace it with prayer, with devotions. Stay submitted. In other words, when I say stay submitted, it means that you have to give up the will of the flesh. There is nothing wrong with having an accountability partner. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest things you can do is find somebody that you can be accountable to and you really will be accountable to. You can, I can assign you an accountability partner if you're trying to overcome some sins of the flesh and say, here, I'm going to partner you with somebody and you be an accountability partner. But if you don't ring their phone or you don't call them or you don't follow through, having an accountability partner to say, I got one, is not going to do anything. So you have to utilize that accountability. Be real, be honest, stay accountable. All of these things will help you overcome the sins of the flesh. We have to completely yield our thoughts and our actions. If what we do, if our sinful action begins with sinful thoughts, if it begins with fantasies and thoughts of what we're going to do, then we need to take control of our mind. So therefore, we need to put gospel music instead of something that is leading us into that sinful activity. Well, I don't particularly like gospel music. Learn to like it. There's a lot of different genres out there. That's why I'm not preaching to anybody. You might like bluegrass. God bless your soul, your sweet little pea-picking soul. You may like you may like some form of Christian rap. I can't imagine. I don't want to listen to it. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, but if that's what it takes for you to overcome your sin habit, by all means, do whatever you got to do. Whatever you got to do, fill your mind with something that replaces those lustful, sinful, fleshly desires. Replace it. Control your mind by 
by entertaining the Word of God, Bible reading, get together, join a Bible study group, be part of some small group, get involved in everything you can in the church, keep yourself busy, don't allow yourself to get pulled away, get involved in devotions. All of these things will help you control your thoughts. And when you control your thoughts, you can then better control your actions. But you'll never do it on your own. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. For they that are after the flesh, mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So we cannot live an overcoming life in the flesh if the flesh is in control of our mind and our thoughts. So the Bible tells us how to get rid of these thought patterns. Let, let, first, let me give you a quick list of what these thought patterns are. My, I've got about 10 minutes left. Everybody okay? All right, here's some of these thought patterns. Negativity, criticism, lust, fantasies, impure thoughts, vengeful thinking. There's just a quick list of just some of the things. The Bible gives us, tells us how to overcome these things. Romans 12 and 2, and be not conformed to the world. And we used to talk a lot more about television than what we do today because it seems like it's not near the problem today that social media is. I talk to people all the time and they're struggling here or there. Somebody says, well, my marriage is on the rocks because I had an affair. Where did you meet them? Facebook. Some chat room, some group somewhere. We used to... We used to talk a lot about people sitting in front of the TV filling their minds and so people are like oh this is completely different I sit in front of social media reading all the things that people are faking on social media like their life is so wonderful be not conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind the renewing of your mind will come through prayer through the Word of God, through Bible studies, all of these things help you change your input if you want to change your output. Everything that you put into your life, music, books, social media, television, movies, conversations, all of these things are shaping our mind, our will, and our emotions, your mind, your will, and your emotions will shape your character. So whatever we put in, our character will produce. So if you think on lies, you'll believe lies and you'll be tempted to lie. You, you think dishonoring thoughts, you'll reap dishonoring actions. Impure thoughts brings about an impure life. Think on God's truth, His promises begin to be believed and fulfilled in your life. Think honoring thoughts, it will transform your life, your home, your marriage. Think pure thoughts, you'll begin to live free from sexual addiction, pornography, all of these things that affect you. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So we have to learn to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and 12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. The literal meaning here is we're under no obligation 
to that old habit pattern to dictate to us what we should do. Instead, through the Holy Spirit, we dictate to the flesh and say, no, I'm under no obligation to you. So therefore, we are no longer a servant to the flesh. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, and we choose to serve Christ instead. For if you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if through the Spirit you mortify or kill the deeds of the flesh in this body, then you're going to live. So Jesus declares that he would empower us to live an overcoming life. That power is spoken of in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. He says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you. That power will allow you to live in a sinful world, work in a sinful environment, yet be able to live above sin. But you can't do it without the power of the Holy Ghost. So you need the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit's power is available to help a believer live an overcoming life. The very power that shaped the heavens and the earth, the power of God, is here to empower us to live victoriously above the addictions, the sinful nature of the flesh, and to overcome it. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a vital part of a Christian's life. You will not be saved without it. And it's more than just to make you feel goosebumps and go, Woo, wow, that felt good. But the Holy Spirit within you is to speak and direct you. It will lead you and guide you into all truth. I close with this. Jesus said in John 15 and 5, Without me, you can do nothing. That means in this flesh, you will never be able to do anything. But through him, he said that you could do whatever you wanted to do. The apostle wrote it like this. For I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Your strength is not going to come out of your own resources, out of your own flesh. Your strength is going to come from Christ alone. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Ghost working in your life. And you can overcome the deeds of the flesh. I want you to stand with me tonight. I want you to join with me in prayer right now. Maybe there's somebody in the room that is struggling, dealing with sinful natures in their life. We all do. We all struggle. Every one of us have our own sets of struggles. But maybe somebody in this room is dealing with those sinful natures. I want you to join with me in prayer right now, sincerely, all over the house, that God would give us the courage to take a step of faith. We need to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. We need to repent of our sins. We need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And we need to be filled with His Spirit in order to be able to live this overcoming life. Join with me right now. Father, I come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, God, for every person in this building. I pray that your power and your spirit be manifest among your people tonight. God, for every person that I've spoke to tonight that has 
that is dealing with the desires of the flesh, that's dealing with addictions and sins of the flesh, this fleshly nature. I pray right now, God, that you give us the wisdom and the understanding and the courage to take a step of faith. God, that we determine in our life that we're going to walk away from that sinful nature. God, that we're going to put it on the altar, that we're going to die out to the flesh. Lord, help tonight us to have the courage to take that step of faith and understand we must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit living within us. I pray tonight, God, for that person that is in the decision, the valley of decision tonight, God, that you would help them to make that decision to take a step of faith now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for it and believe you're doing a work in every life. In Jesus' name, somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Come on, lift up your voice.